If you have your Bibles, would you open them up to 2 Timothy chapter 2? We're going to be focusing our attention in verses 20 through 26. And what's been on, been on my heart recently is just been thinking through the church honoring Jesus and all that we do as his servants. As you guys know, this is um, the first week of our Sermon Summer Series kickoff. I have not said that well, like every time I announce it. So we're going to be pausing in Luke, and we're going to be drawing our attention here. And so for this week, we're going to be putting our attention in 2 Timothy. But a few weeks ago, we were studying the parable of the sower in Luke chapter 8. And it got me thinking when I was reading through it, when we were studying this, about how Jesus described the seed of the word, landing on good and honest soil, landing on soil of the heart. And this results in the word deepening disciples towards acts of service, towards being voices of truth, and to be beacons of hope to a world no matter the consequences. The word drives us as disciples to press in even when those around us are tuning out. Serving Jesus is a noble and honorable task. A research group called Axios, they they shared this study kind of recently in light of all the events that have been happening these past few weeks. Just these past three weeks ago, we've had several instances of just of horrible events, of terror across our country. First, it started by this tragedy in Buffalo. And then next, just later that week, it moved to a, a Taiwanese Presbyterian church in California being attacked. And then it led into these, these events not not correlated but just magnified of a disturbed young man going into an elementary school in Uvalde, Texas and killing 19 children and two adults. And when this news has been, was pulsing through all of our, all of our um, news outlets, this response was, how long until something is done? This cry only for a few days later for these stories to kind of simmer and draw to silence. And this research study group, Axios, they drew attention to this. And they said, this actually is pretty normal. This happens often. And what they're seeing and what they reported is we're not seeing a people numb to horrors. We're seeing people overwhelmed by them. And I would argue that Scripture takes it further and says that that it's not the horrific act in itself people see. It's the reality and the depth of sin in clear view. And in a world that is leaning and looking for hope within themselves, acts of this magnitude leave people hopeless and overwhelmed. And in light of that reality, how can we as a church be a beacon of hope and a voice of truth to a people hurting around us and a people overwhelmed by the atrocities that they see? 
This was a similar question and a concern of a young man named Timothy that he had for his mentor, Paul. In Paul's second letter to Timothy, we do see this answer that we are asking ourselves now, which is we are prepared for every good work to serve Christ as special instruments of purpose, instruments of nobility, and of grace. So this morning, I'd like to encourage you with Paul's words from this chapter, and we're going to be reading God's word together. So I invite you, would you stand with me for the reading of God's word? Again, this is 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 20 through 26, and it reads, Now in a large house there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also those of wood and clay, some for honorable use and some for dishonorable. So if anyone purifies himself from anything dishonorable, he will be a special instrument, set apart, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Flee from youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. (coughs) Excuse me. Along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. But reject foolish and ignorant disputes because you know they breed quarrels. (coughs) The Lord's servant must not quarrel, but must be gentle to everyone, able to teach and patient, instructing his opponents with gentleness. Perhaps God will grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of the truth. Then they may come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil, who has taken them captive to do his will. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. C.S. Lewis, he described this moment in a way I think that we can kind of all identify with, especially if you're a morning person. He says, it comes in the very moment when you wake up each morning. All your wishes and hopes for the day rush at you like wild animals. And the first job each morning consists simply of shoving them all back in. In listening to that other voice, taking that other point of view, letting that other larger, stronger, quieter life come flowing in. And so on all day, standing back from all your natural fussings and frettings, coming in and out of the wind. Now, whatever time of day that that may happen to you, if you're not a morning person, each of us is confronted with how our actions align with our purpose. In the opening of our passage this morning, in verses 20 through 21, Paul's describing what it means to be an instrument of purpose. He describes now in that large house, there are not only gold and silver vessels, but there are also wood and clay. Honorable use and some for dishonorable use. So if anyone purifies himself from anything dishonorable, he will be a special instrument, set apart, useful to the master for every, prepared for every good work. Now what Paul is doing is he's hearkening back to something that Jesus said. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus is sitting with his disciples and he tells them a parable to make sense of a messy world that they're living in. The disciples are super confused 
Because Jesus doing his ministry, them following Jesus doing his ministry, they're looking across and they're seeing people also living out different ministries, but for dishonor, things that are leading people astray. And so in a sense, they've got righteousness and wickedness side by side. And in this moment, wickedness seems to kind of be prevailing. So Jesus tells them a story of wheat and weeds. I don't know if you remember this parable, but he says, in a field, a sower sowed wheat for a coming harvest. But while everyone was sleeping, an enemy planted weeds in this field. And once the wheat sprouted, so did the weeds. And the servants of the sower, they asked where these weeds came from. And the sower explained, well, they came from the enemy. But if you try to pull up the weeds, Jesus says, the wheat is so entangled with them that you might do more damage than intended. So then he tells them at the end in chapter, in verse 30, let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I'll tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and tie them in bundles to burn them, but collect the wheat in my barn. And Paul, when he's writing this passage to Timothy, when he's writing this letter to Timothy, He's bringing that same principle inside the church. Not only does bad stuff happen outside of the church, but until Jesus comes back and the church is no longer tied to sin, the church is going to experience effects of the human condition. In the church where people will be honor and dishonor, some will reap righteousness and others will wreak havoc. Super comforting, right? So what are we to do with that? I'm sure Timothy was kind of thinking the same thing. If I want to serve God with all of my heart, with all of my soul, my mind, and my strength, how am I going to pursue righteousness when so much wrong is thriving all around me? How would I not give in to the hopelessness and just seek the comforts that everyone else is? Perhaps you've been marked or jaded by a people calling themselves Christians only to wreak havoc in the name of righteousness. It's not only a terrible hypocrisy to our witness, but it's also, frankly, just really confusing. The Holy Spirit does not leave us in wanting. He has words of comfort and wisdom for us. Because just before this, in verse 19, it says, nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, bearing this inscription, the Lord knows who are his. And let everyone who calls on the name of the Lord turn away from wickedness. So the more I call on the Lord for help, the stronger I become because my strength isn't coming from my own efforts, but from God's the clearer my purpose becomes, the more honorable I see the task at hand. I'm no longer influenced by empty pleasures 
Instead, I'm walking in purity and holiness towards the purpose that I have been made for. Disciples of Jesus are a holy people and called to a holy purpose. The overwhelming emphasis in Scripture is that God chooses to use clean vessels, instruments of righteousness, as as Romans would even call it, for the fulfillment of his purposes. So when we serve Jesus, something magnificent happens to us. And that we become instruments of purpose, of an honorable purpose, but we also become instruments of nobility. Paul gets really practical here in this next phase, so I want to draw your attention back to verses 22 through 23, where then he just tells Timothy, flee from youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. But reject foolish and ignorant disputes, because you know they breed quarrels. So I, I, I remember a really, a kind of funny now, but a really sad Christmas day, like 12 or so years ago. It was this moment that I discovered that Christians disagree with each other, particularly online in the YouTube comments. I had, it's, it's, it's funny now that I think about it, but it's actually kind of really sad too. I was talking with uh, my father-in-law and and this was a time when I wasn't seeking out to find my faith online and like the online world, particularly in the YouTube sphere. Instead, I was just going to church. And when I had become saved, I, the thought never even crossed my mind that, my, that the Christian faith would be somehow attached to the internet. I just thought, if you learn about your faith, you go to church and you read books that other people are reading. And thankfully, I think that the Lord is really kind to me in providing me with a church with really good people in it and providing really good books for me to read. But I wouldn't call myself ignorant to that. I would just say I was optimistically naive to the fact that there was this kind of war war of quarreling amongst believers and non-believers all online. So much so that when I went to missionary training school to, like, to, to learn how to be a missionary and to kind of do this different training, that they gave me this stack of books, and I was like, I just read through all of them. Because I was like, sweet, we got more resources. I got like more books here. The thought still never crossed my mind. Until that day that someone told me, have you been, have you like seen what people say? And I'm not sure that the faith, in broadly speaking, that our faith would be marked with the word witness if we were to look at all of the arguments at hand. I think that it would be marked with the word quarreling. It's not just about believers accusing or attacking unbelievers. It's people, believers attacking themselves. It's the same kind of thing. And Jesus through Paul's words here, calls us to run away from it. Paul is here telling us 
to run away from youthful passions. Now, usually, we assume that that just means sexual lust, which it does, but it's not exclusive to it. Paul is telling us to run away from self-absorbing passions. Self-absorbing passions that we used to be defined by. Meaning, self-asserting yourself, or inserting yourself into a conversation of something you don't know about. Self-indulgence. Selfish ambition. Arrogance, stubborn, obstinate. Don't just turn away from these things. Run away from these things. Because all they do is breed an argumentative spirit. All they do is they breed quarreling. Now, when we think about people putting that in, using a type of outlet like the internet in the sake of righteousness, we, get to, we see here that that's just wreaking havoc. Run away from it. The practical step to pursue nobility is to be mindful of all of the, your, your surroundings, to see Christ in every area of your life. Run away from these youthful passions. We are called to more. I think we get limited way too many times. And we look back on past experiences of, of excitement, of growth in our lives, and we get confused that perhaps that moment that seemed so exciting then was really a former way of life that God has called us to move beyond, to grow from. Ephesians 4, verses 22 through 24, it tells us to take off your former self, the old self that was corrupted by deceitful desires, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of truth. The virtues of nobility are these four marks of, Christian, uh, of a Christian. Righteousness, faith, love, and peace. This is our armor that protects us from arguments that don't matter. This is the armor that protects us from fighting against the public and against ourselves. This is the armor that protects us even from YouTube comments, ones that you might want to partake in. But these virtues of faith guard us from ourselves. I just finished this, uh, for kind of this research paper, I just finished this kind of stack of books on, on how churches were affected by the pandemic. And the pandemic is very recent, so the stack is not that big. So it doesn't sound too impressive. But when I was reading through it, of all the research, just this consistent pulse of data continued to say that everyone, believers and non-believers alike, are far more distracted now, are far more addicted, and are far more internally focused than ever before. The pandemic 
though we see grace in it, we see some, some good things that have happened in it, the pandemic bred far more consumerism and far more self-absorbed passions than ever before. So if we think now's the time, well, we've moved out of this, now I can kind of relax. No, we need to keep our guard up. We need to remember to pursue these pursuits of nobility, to be instruments of honor, to be instruments of God's work. We are far too easily pleased, and I would say we are far too easily distracted. Pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, and the word will deepen you and will drive you to acts of service, to be that voice of truth and to be that beacon of hope that our world so desperately needs. But if you're saying, yes, Mark, but I've got moments. I've got moments that I don't particularly want to share. Or I've got doubts. I have difficulties. I want, to ask, I, I want you to, to write down just these four questions that I'd like to ask you. So when your righteousness feels vague, what is gripping my attention? I want you to ask that. When righteousness feels vague, ask the question, what is gripping my attention? Is what I'm giving all my attention, attention to at this moment moving me towards Christ and reminding me that he has bestowed his righteousness on me or is it moving me towards a self-righteous posture? What is gripping my attention? When your faith is fleeting, ask yourself, where is my faith being placed? Where is my faith being placed? God continually promises us that in the midst of our fleeting faith, I love that song that we just sang, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. I feel it. That is so true. Prone to leave the God I love. Jesus says, Take, you give me your heart and I will show you and give you the faith because you can rest in my promises that I am faithful no matter how fleeting your faith is. When your love is misplaced, I want you to ask yourself, where is my love going? Thomas Aquinas, the old theologian church father, said painfully well, the things we love tell us what we are. Let me say that again. The things we love tell us what we are. I remember a, a professor of mine, we were talking about phones and the use of uh, phones and technology and different stuff, and he made this offhanded comment that stuck with me for years, where he said, well, your children will see what you love. And that was an arresting statement because never had I thought that what my kids would see 
is they would see what I love. Do they see me on my phone all the time? Or do they see me looking at them? Where is my love going? When we find that out, we begin to see the promise of God's love for us. My love is going here. Lord, take my heart and, let, and seal it and remind me that you love me and that when I look to you, you've already drawn near. The last question is, when peace seems lost, it could be so easy to see that peace is lost when we look out in the world. It could be easy to make that kind of blanketed statement. But I want you to ask the question, where does my security lie? Where does my security lie? Is it in Christ and the promises that God gives me? Or is my peace lost because I've put my security in something else? Friends, God, in all of his grace, has called us to a higher purpose and equipped us with the Holy Spirit to be his instruments in the hopes that God might use us as instruments of grace. We're instruments of purpose. We're instruments of nobility. We're also instruments of grace. So let me draw your attention to this last section, verses 24 through 26, where we see the effect of being God's instruments. Verse 24, the Lord's servant must not quarrel. He says it again. But must be gentle to everyone, able to teach and patient, instructing his opponents with gentleness. Perhaps God will grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of the truth. Then they may come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil, who has taken them captive to do his will. The result then of pursuing Jesus in all that we do is that we might see people moved to repentance and faith. Jesus doesn't guarantee it because then that would be us saying whatever we do, those would be marks of our own actions to say if I do A, B, and C, clearly this is going to happen and that's not the kind of world that we live in. That's not people. But Jesus says, pursuing these things, when Christ is in you, there will be, as the beacon of hope that we are, the church, there will be, there, there will be that hope in the city. And that is for us to move and to pray for God to bring repentance and faith. We don't bring salvation, we mirror salvation. Gentleness in this does not mean being passive, like our kind of modern terms defines it. Gentleness doesn't mean that in this. Gentleness is a characteristic of a person living out a noble purpose. If you go back into to older documents, ancient documents like our scriptures have, the term gentleness was for a knight. It was, the, it was the, 
It was the posture of a warrior, of a knight. They had gentleness. It meant that they weren't aggressive. They didn't lead with quarreling. They had a noble purpose. It wasn't passive. Just a few days ago, I don't know if you've, um, if you've seen this, but there was this family, and it reported on the news, this, this nurse who accidentally gave this wrong um, dose of medicine to this person, and, and, it, and it mistakenly ended their life. And it was a few years ago, and the trial was kind of being made to the public now, but it caused this, uh, just a, a surge of concern amongst nurses. And there's people standing out trying to support this nurse for this uh, mistaken dose that was given. And she was set up to serve this prison time. Everything was kind of going. But then the family surprisingly forgave this person, forgave the nurse. And they come up, and instead of following what anyone what, any, what the world would permit them to do, which is to be angry, to accuse. They chose forgiveness. Instead of being brash and harsh with her and argumentative, they were gentle. They chose an act of nobility. And what happened is it sent a, a pulse through everyone in the environment, a ripple effect of goodness. And when we look at those moments, when we see that, I don't just see people being good and and choosing forgiveness. I see a picture of the gospel. That's the gospel. That's, That's the gospel at play. For while we were helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly and proved God's love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we look at moments like that in the world, we can take them, hold on to them, and show them to the world there's something far deeper and far more beautiful that that act of forgiveness comes from. Let me show you. Become instruments of grace so that living as an instrument of Jesus, we will show people the truth and the beauty of the gospel. And we become instruments of grace because Jesus became an instrument of judgment for us to die for us so that we might live. Paul tells us in Romans that, and not only that, but to rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus, through whom we have now received this reconciliation. When righteousness feels vague, when the events around us seem to be so overwhelming to us that our faith feels fleeting, and when the habits and and daily rhythms of our life misplace our love, and our peace seems lost. Draw near to Christ. Draw near to Jesus, who has drawn near to you. Let him remind you 
of your purpose, of your honorable purpose, and the task that he's equipped you with. God's people are called to serve Christ as special instruments of honor. And by his grace, through Jesus, we are prepared for every good work. Will you guys pray with me? Jesus, we come before you and we give you our weaknesses, we give you our insecurities, we give you all of the moments that we look back on that we are not proud of. And we ask that instead of being marked by those moments, that we would look forward to the new self that you've bestowed on us as instruments of purpose, as these honorable vessels that you call us to live in. And we ask for your strength to help us flee the formal ways of life. It can be so tempting to fall into the snares of the enemy to give in to temptations, to become angry, and to follow through in that anger with arguing, with attacking. But God, you've called us higher. You've called us deeper. We ask that you would be with us, that you would equip us, and that you would draw near to us in those moments we feel far away. God, make us honorable vessels. Let us follow in love. Let us follow in faith. Put on our righteousness and walk in peace. We love you. In Christ's name, amen.